You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Amen. Well, hey, I had the privilege to speak a few weeks back, which was uh, right after I came back from our, our, uh, our third child, our, my son being born. And I spoke on the book of Acts as a whole because Ron was really nice. He didn't make me speak on one thing. So I got to just, we did a whole flyover of the book of Acts. And today we're actually going to sit in Acts chapter 6. And we're going to stay there. Uh, I'm, or at least I'm going to try and stay there as much as I can. I get too excited and I like to go everywhere because the Bible's good. Uh, and Acts chapter 6 is a very awesome, exciting chapter that we're going to get to look at today. So you've got a Bible, you can turn there now. But before we get into the Word, um, let me, I want to ask one question. Have any of you in the room this morning ever felt like you were overlooked? Ever felt like you were maybe marginalized or ever felt like uh, there, you were part, you were, you were on the outside of another group and you were out there, everyone else was here, but you felt left out? Uh, I want to have a real conversation this morning about that, and I want to have a real conversation about a group of people that always are getting overlooked. And I, uh, I'm not in this group, but I, I'm relatives with someone who is, and that is left-handed people. Is there left-handed people in the room? Yeah? Where are the left-handers at? Okay? You are special, all right? You guys are in a good way, in a very good way. I want to have a real conversation about the persecution that left-handers go through. Can we talk about this for a second? Left-handed people are only 10% of the population. Did you know that? I didn't know that. When they ever, they, they can't write with ink pens, because as they write across the page, I'm sure, if there, is there a left-hander who's a pen this morning? They probably have a smear on their hand, and what they're writing is now illegible. You know, ink pens are difficult. Ink pens are not designed for left-handers. Opening doors, even, when you walk out, any, go to any door, and you grab a handle, it's on the right side, correct? It's not on the left side. Left-handers have to reach across their body. Right-handers, we just got to go straight for it. It's so easy, Okay. Uh, or when you look at the dinner table, this, this one affects me pretty heavily because my brother Chase is a left-hander and I was always sitting right next to him at the dinner table and I can't tell how many times our elbows smacked each other or he purposely smacked me, I don't know. It's eating dinner and I, I actually, I see my brother when we go to restaurants, when we get to a table, everyone starts sitting down and he just stands back and he starts watching like, where's everyone sitting? Where can I sit that I don't hit someone? Or how can I sit, can I get an edge seat really fast that way I can eat and I'm not dis- disturbing anyone? Dinner t- tables are not, like, the way we eat are not designed for left-handers. Even this, I was actually, this might be too much information, I was uh, using the restroom this week, and I realized that the flap on our zipper is not designed for left-handers. <laughs> There's a flap that covers your zipper, church, and a right-hander has easy access to your zipper. A left-hander has to go around <laughs> the flap. It's tough being a left-handed person. Okay, also look at Jesus. Even Jesus loved right-handers, okay? Jesus, where is he? he? He left, right? He's sitting where? At the right hand of God. When he separates us in the end times, when you look at the sheep and the goats, where the sheep go to the right, the good, where do the goats go? <laughs> to the left. Left-handers have just never had it easy. Those are all the really funny ones, church, but here's the serious matter. Here, let's get serious for a second. Left-handed people um, have a higher rate of mental illness than right-handed people. Left-handed people have higher rate of mental illness, including schizophrenia, learning disabilities. They have a higher rate of hypertension or high blood pressure and heart disease than right-handed people do. Left-handed people 
this is sad, so left-handed people, brace yourself, on average die three to nine years sooner than right-handed people do. There's something that happens in a person when a left-handed person encounters a right-handed world. Because this world is built for us right-handers. It's not built for left-handers. And they, ha- they have something that they genuinely go through. And it affects them, not only mentally, but physically. We didn't, I didn't even know that. And over the next few minutes while we're talking, consider what it would be like to be one different person out of ten. This is the message that I want us to to sit on and think about this morning. What would it be like to be one out of ten? What should the response of this group be? What should the response of the nine be to the one? Do we alienate? Do we push out or say stay out? Or what what is the response of the 90% to the 10%? This is the problem, a big problem our world is facing uh, right now. It's a big problem that our churches are facing right now. And uh, it's a problem that the early church faced also, and it's, it's not this, what's so great about the book of Acts and the Bible is we see we can learn so much just by looking at the early church and how they responded through the Holy Spirit to the problems they faced, amen? So Acts chapter 6 this morning, 2,000 years ago, the early church faced the same problem our church uh, and our world is facing, and they responded, and we're going to learn how they responded. And so the church was going through in Acts 6, um, they were growing in large amounts constantly. Like we have sermons we've talked through so far where Peter saves 3,000 people in one day. Another day, 2,000 people join. And then it's growing and it's growing and people are bringing their, their resources and their things. And like Annette, Pastor Annette talked last Sunday, some people tried to get away with bringing, saying they brought everything but only bringing a little and then they dropped dead. But Acts chapter 6 is kind of a, kind of a slow down compared to everything else. The church is growing rapidly and steadily, rapidly and steady, and there's something about Acts chapter 6 that can get overlooked because I'll say this, Acts chapter 6 doesn't contain actually any, any explicitly stated miracles happening. No one, no, no large amount of people getting saved, like no amazing sermon being preached. It's just the church living everyday life, and it can get overlooked, but I think that this is so powerful because we can see the church doing everyday life, which is what we're trying and attempting to do right now. Acts 6 is amazing because we know that every book, every chapter, every verse in the Bible has meaning and weight and power, and Acts 6 is no different just because it's not like the rest of the book of Acts where it's jam-packed with excitement. So Acts chapter 6 displays the first ever inner church conflict, like Ron stated earlier, between members. Uh, Acts uh, chapter 6 is an example of how to love and care for the community within the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ, right? It shows us how to uh, identify and release leaders for the work of the gospel. And it shows us, most importantly, that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our wisdom, and the power by which we step out of the safety of this building and go out into a broken world with the love of Jesus. If you got your Bibles, I think, I hope you're already open to Acts 6.1. It'll be on the screens as well. We're gonna just kind of jump through it piece by piece every now and then. So Acts 6.1 says this, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. What a fun way to start the book of Acts chapter 6, right? Grumbling. And I want to bring some context here. So this right here is the perfect example of growth. Because as things grow, there are more problems, right? Like if you look at a business, I don't own a, or run a business, but I can only imagine, I've watched the show called this, The Office, and I kind of know how businesses work. Um, 
uh, as a business grows, so does your expenses, right? So does your distribution. So does your logistics. All of it gets more complicated as it grows. Look at a family. My family just, like, we just had an adorable baby, loved the kid to death, but I would be lying if I didn't say it did not, he did not make things a little bit more complicated. He didn't, if he didn't mess up the schedules a little bit, you know, uh, there is more tension and stretching between the leadership, Sabrina and I, and our followers, our kids, than before, before our son Isaac was born. When things grow, you, you get stretched. And as anything grows, so does grumbling and discomfort. And so to give context to the grumbling the church was in and they were facing, there were Jewish believers, people who were connected to their Jewish faith and culture, deeply connected, and they could trace their lineage all the way back to Moses and uh, to Abraham, and they grew up in Jerusalem, around the temple, loving Jerusalem, loving the temple, where they were, and they're grappling with the reality, church, that their Messiah that they thought was going to come and overthrow the Roman government and reign in a kingdom that would last forever, instead died. And then came back from the grave that they didn't expect that either, uh, and then just kind of went up on a cloud. And they're like, what are we supposed to do with all this? And the Holy Spirit comes in and does all this amazing stuff. So they were doing, they were wrestling with faith in Jesus, and it changed the culture and the people where they were, including other people around themselves and around their city. And that we have these Jewish believers, but then we have also what was called, when the, the, the Bible said, these Hellenistic Jews, these Hellenistic believers. They were described in this verse, uh, they, are, they are Jews by blood, but by culture and language and everything else, they were Greek. They were Greek. And they did not have a love for Jerusalem or a love for the temple or anything like the, the Hebraic Jews did. They were a little bit different. And this group of Jews were part of what was called the diaspora, which was, a, it's, a, it's a fancy word, but um, you don't necessarily need to know it for your salvation, so don't worry about it. Uh, but they were part of the diaspora, and these were people who found themselves scattered all around the region, around the world, because of multiple ways of Jewish persecution over the centuries by people who thought the Jews were evil or terrible, and they persecuted them, and people fled. So these Jews left because they didn't want to die. But now they find themselves back and being invited into a Jewish subculture and relationship with the Messiah that was promised, and they thought they were being invited in. But they quickly realized that they were sitting on the outside of practices, the outside of built-in relationships, the outside of friendships that have been established over generations, and processes that had been established before they got there, before they came back. And sitting on the outside also of a language barrier, which is, can be incredibly difficult. I don't speak another language, but when someone speaks another language to me, I understand that I cannot understand them. I don't believe, I'll say this, I don't believe there was any malicious intent by the early church uh, with them being left on the outside. But the reality was that they not only felt left out, but they actually were left out. Not that they just felt that way, and they needed to be okay with it, but they actually were left out. No pun intended with our left-handed conversation from earlier, by the way. Because when things start to change, guys, church, we, we see uh, where there is tension and problems, things begin to happen. Things begin to need to change. When the church faced change and the reality and challenges of change, a few things became really apparent to them. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. We have, I want to go through three things. So we're going to do, it's pretty easy to remember, we're going to do three things, three-point sermon this morning. If you're taking notes, write down these three things and then go home and pray about them, think about them, meditate on them as you go through this week and see how this fits into your life. Amen? 
First thing is be this, is that new problems force the growth of new leaders. So we have a problem. We haven't actually read what happens after we find out what the problem is. We're going to do that in a second. But new problems force the growth of new leaders. The Holy Spirit does this. He's our guiding line. He's our source of growth. And he is what the church is led from top down. And we're, we're pretty grateful for that. Because leaders who are led by the Holy Spirit lead more leaders into following the Holy Spirit. And that's what we want. That's what we want. Here is what I'm not saying, church. Here's exactly what I'm not saying. So I'm going to say it. Just know Ryan's not saying that. I'm not saying new problems mean we say out with the old, in with the new, let's go forward. I'm not saying that at all. Because we need the church to be a cross-generational movement. I am not saying out with the old, in with the new. In fact, it was the existing leadership in the church, the 12 apostles at the time, who said, hey, we have a problem. Let's bring in some new leaders who can help us with this problem. We're going to find out exactly how they did that. Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 6, church says this. It says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the entire group. Sorry, I, I need to stop right there. Actually, I lied. There is a miracle in this chapter. <laughs> Everyone was happy. I lied. There's a miracle right there. Every, this idea made everyone happy. When was the last time you and a large group of people was like, we have an idea, and everyone's like, yep, that's the one. We're all happy. No one's upset. Let's just go forward. <laughs> the Holy Spirit can do a lot of things, people, including bringing us all together in agreement. Amen? Amen? So it says that pleased everyone, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. That's key. That last part's really important. Who prayed and laid their hands on them. This was something that they did in the early church. We still do today when we're equipping people, when we're releasing people, when we're saying, we want you to step into something and we're trusting you. They laid their hands on them physically and they prayed over them. We, I, I think we need to get a little bit, that's why we have prayer teams up front and when we, when we invite you forward for prayer, we, put, we lay hands on, we say, Lord, in the name of the Holy Spirit, we're asking this. And we're laying hands on you because it is a symbolic gesture that says, we are for you. We are here. I love that they did that. And so the apostles pick these seven guys. And these seven guys were all Greek-speaking Jews themselves. Imagine that. Who understand the challenges of the people that they would be serving. And uh, when we are going through a season of change, it is so important to remember that we are better together, that we ought to stay together, and that we should value every individual, not just ourselves. But we'll talk about that later. We'll, we'll do that more later. This is who we are here at Canby Forest Square Church, though. This is, this is who we are. If you're, like Ron was saying, like he wants to meet you if you're newer, if you hadn't had a chance to meet him yet, he'll be back next Sunday. Make sure you introduce yourself to him. But this is who we are. If you are newer to our church family, or even if you've been here for years and years, listen to these words. We are about everyone. We are concerned about being an open and diverse community that cares about people, being able to come and hear about how much God loves them. And growth happens through the Holy Spirit. We are always looking for more opportunities to raise up leaders, or in biblical terms, disciples. 
Our mission here is to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus. That's what we, we say all the time. This is the model the early church and Acts passed down to us, like I spoke on this a few weeks back. The early church identified some new leaders who could come in and serve as new problems arose. Something actually which is really cool, which Ron told me about a year ago, I'll never forget it, is we were talking about ministry and we were talking about the church and he, he, Ron said, I would rather raise a leader than hire a leader because then I have the, I, the ability to assure that we're raising a new one up and we get to, we get to send them out. Church, like, what, how cool is that? Like, we can be a movement, we can be a church that says, we're about raising up new leaders. We don't want to just hire a good one. We want to raise one up and say, look at what God has done in this person's life. Who is that person maybe around you that maybe you can identify in, in your business, uh, at your work, or where you are in your life right now? Is there someone you're saying, I, I could raise this person up? I could raise this person up instead of just hiring someone to come in and do it. I love that so much. Uh, this is who we are. They, need the, they needed more people to be part of the team, and so the church could grow. And so there was a new challenge. The apostles selected these seven guys to do this thing. There was a need that needed to be filled. And so they said, let's identify some people who can go out and preach, who can teach, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who could probably do what the apostles were doing, fully equipped, and said, let's have them do this. Let's have them maybe start small. <clears throat> we want everyone who comes through the doors of Camden Four Square Church to understand and see and hear the value and the vision of this church. It's not as easy as it used to be, I'll say that, to, to bring people into the church building. This is why it's so important, more important, I think, now more than ever, that we are a movement and we are a church, we are believers who are not afraid to go outside the church and say, come back in with me. We can't, people don't just come into churches anymore. We have to go to them. And this is biblical. Think about what God did. God, he came to us. He constantly speaks to us. He sent his son into this world to bring us to him. He sent the Holy Spirit down here to empower us and have a relationship with us. God has always come to meet us. We can go to meet others too. That's just living in the image that God has set for us. <clears throat> this is biblical. And I think this is so cool. I think it's so cool that the, the, the 12 apostles said, we've identified some new leaders. Let's give them something that we know they can be successful in. Let's start them small. And let's let them build up. So that's the second thing we're talking about this morning is small things lead to big things. Small things lead to big things. I love this. What, did we, what we find in the Bible is that there is a collection of small things that lead to big things. We talked about buying backpacks earlier this morning. It might seem like a real small thing to just go out and buy a backpack and put it in a barrel, but it's a big deal when that child or that student gets that backpack and says, I've got one that looks cool. I've got one that's not used. I've got one that isn't ripped. I've got one that I can be proud of. It's a big deal. You know, it might seem like a small thing just to be serving on Sunday, but it's a big deal. It's a big thing. When we have our, you think of our greeters who open doors or there's someone holding a sign out there as you drive in that says, welcome home, welcome to church. <laughs> you know, you, you walk in and someone says, we're so glad you're here. It may seem like a small thing, but it's a big deal. You know, uh, the person making coffee for us this, this morning, they get here super early. But luckily, they work with caffeine, but they're here early <laughs> and they're here to make people feel loved. It may seem like a small thing, but it's a big deal. You know, the person holding my baby in the nursery right now, it's a big deal. 
And Acts chapter 6, verse 7 uh, says this. I want to tell you exactly what happened after the, ch- after the church leaders made this decision. They empowered them and they released them. Acts 6, 7 says this. So the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The moment the 12 apostles released a little bit of authority, they empowered some new le- uh, leaders to come in. The church grew, and it didn't say it grew. It says it grew rapidly. And then it even says, and some of the priests even came into the faith. Some of the people who were persecuting Jesus and persecuting the early church decided that this Jesus must have been the Messiah, and they came in as well. And all it took was the 12 apostles saying, let's get, let's get some new leaders in here to help us out. I love it. It happens multiple times through uh, the book of Acts, by the way, so I'm sorry. We're going to jump around the book of Acts a little bit, a little bit. Anytime a problem arises, not anytime, but times through the book of Acts when a problem arises, the church responds by listening to the Holy Spirit, and then immediately what happens is this. So we're going to look at uh, a problem when in Acts chapter 12, we see that James, the brother of John, is killed. And then Peter is arrested because King Herod is like, oh, this made a bunch of people happy. Let's arrest Peter too. And then Peter, I'm sorry, again, I'm spoiling everything. It's just kind of what I do. Uh, I love you, honey. I don't actually spoil everything. Uh, She's listening online. Peter escapes from prison, and when he escapes from prison, he gets out there, and it says the response from all this is, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Okay? Acts chapter 13. Okay? We see that Paul and Barnabas faced persecution for preaching the gospel where they went, and then they, they are able to escape, and things happen. Then it says the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. And in Acts chapter 19, as Paul radically saves many in Ephesus, after tons of pushback from the Jewish leaders there and the Greek-speaking people there, they save many people in Ephesus, and they burn all their scrolls that talk about other gods, and it's this amazing thing. And then it says, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. When the apostles listened to the Holy Spirit, went where he was calling them to go, addressed the problems that they faced through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the word of God spread. And it didn't just spread, it flourished, it spread through the whole region, and it grew in power. Church, there's a lot of power resting in all of us right now through the Holy Spirit. I don't think we realize just what we got inside. There's so much there. If we look at the pattern acts, there are a lot of little things after little things that happens over and over again, like a revolving door. Each time the church responded by listening to the Holy Spirit, the boldness in the gospel of Jesus and how it spread, it just all points back to the Holy Spirit. The pattern is obedience to the Holy Spirit. That's what they did every time. Small things led to big things in the church, and small things can also lead to big things in our lives today. When Stephen was first described in verse 5, I love this. It says, he was a man full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. I'm assuming all the other guys were too, but they single Stephen out here because of what might happen. I won't spoil that if you don't know uh, what happens to Stephen eventually. But you can, you can be both full of the Holy Spirit and power, and all, or sorry, man of the Holy Spirit and, and wisdom and all of it, and you can have all this, but you can also have all that and never leave your couch. You can sit there with it and do nothing with it also. You can be full of the Holy Spirit uh, and wisdom, and you can sit here in your, this church and not grow. It's possible. Stephen had faith and the Holy Spirit, and when he starts serving the community, he explodes onto the scene. 
His faith becomes active, and this is the important part. As we're, I was having conversations with some students the last few weeks as I've been meeting with them on their summer breaks and how they're doing, and a lot of them are saying, I read the Bible, but I don't really feel anything. And I said, well, what are you doing with the Bible you're reading? What are you doing with the Word of God that's speaking into you? And they go, I don't know what to do with it. And I say, well, then get active. Go out and do something. Take a note and say, God said this to me. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do something with it. We have to take our faith and push it forward. See, he, see, Stephen, he is forced to grow closer to Jesus through the Holy Spirit because he begins to serve others. Uh, you want your faith to grow? Then start, maybe consider starting to serve. Get your faith active. The Bible then describes Stephen again in Acts chapter 8. And I love this description in Acts chapter 8 because it's a little bit different. Acts 6, 8 says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. See, he was full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit before, and that's good. But then he begins to serve. He serves these widows. He serves these Hellenistic widows who need help. And he goes from just being full of the Holy Spirit and some wisdom, and he becomes full of power. I love it. Wait. I, I can only imagine, like, how maybe people responding to Stephen doing all this. Like, wait, like, you mean, like, Stevie, little guy? He's doing signs and wonders, that guy? And they're like, yeah, you should have seen him. He was great. The guy waiting tables. That's Stephen. Yeah, it was amazing. Okay, the guy that we just like, we thought just had some really good experience from like Oswego Grill and we pulled him in because, you know, he could wait tables. No, he's doing signs and wonders because he started by saying yes to something small and he worked and he worked hard. He got dirty. He realized he learned how to love people. He learned how to love difficult people. He learned how to get a little dirty with his faith. Because could you imagine having to serve some of these widows? Maybe like you put the bread down and it's like, this bread's a little too salty, Stephen. Can you do better next time? Or maybe it's like, oh, can you imagine if it was today, they'd put the bread down and they'd be like, is this one gluten-free? <laughs> I need gluten-free, Stephen. I like, he goes through all this faithfully, but I, I honestly, I, I, I don't have facts for this, but I, I believe his first miracle probably happened at one of these tables. He sets down the bread and a woman's like, hey, I need gluten-free bread. This one's not gluten-free. And he's like, boom, gluten-free. Okay, cool, next one. Let's go. <laughs> But Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says this. It says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever can be dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. God is asking if he can trust you, can he trust you with a 10% church? That they are not different or culturally distant, that they are instead adopted, grafted in, and a part of. Whoever that group might be in your life right now, whoever that might, group might be when you encounter them, because there's a lot of different ones right now. Can God trust you with the 10%? If God can trust you in helping people in their lives in little bit small ways, then he can trust you in changing people's lives in big, massive, miraculous ways, just like Stephen did. The last thing this morning would be this. When the church confronts conflict or you know, challenges, our goal should be to this is to work for oneness. Should be our goal. Work for oneness. Work towards oneness. Work for oneness. Just strive for that. The work of Stephen and the other six, I'm going to say it was not just to placate or make happy those Hellenistic widows. It was not just to get them to quiet down so the apostles could go off and do their thing that they needed to do. The strategy of the apostles that they came up with through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit was a strategy of oneness. It was not to get rid of or quiet them down because they, needed, they had more important stuff to do. It was how do we bring everyone in together? 
It was a strategy of oneness. And honestly, they got this from the Holy Spirit because Jesus, I'm going to say, prayed for this earlier. In John chapter 17, we see this. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, we just talked to the book of John recently, he was praying for you and he was praying for me. Listen to what he asked for God for. In 18 through 21, he says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world also. He's talking about his apostles. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be fully, truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Church, that's you. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I, and you and me, and I'm in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. Church, the world believes that Jesus really is the Son of God because of the way we act, the way that who we are and how we treat others. Jesus' prayer for each of us was not that we would do miraculous things. It was not that we would go off and be the next great disciple like Peter or Paul. It wasn't that we'd be like the next Billy Graham or, you know, the next relevant worship band, whoever they are right now. There's so many. Uh, His prayer was for us to view the most complicated thing in life, and that was to be one. One church. To work hard for it because it does not come suddenly or easily. Jesus prayed that we would work toward oneness, and I'll say this, oneness is not the absence of diversity. Oneness doesn't mean that we all look or sound and think alike. That's not oneness. It doesn't mean that we are all right-handed or left-handed. Oneness means that the nine will work as hard as they possibly can to make sure that the one would feel like they are apart, that they would feel just like the other nine to make a solid ten. Through the Holy Spirit, we can be one body, one church, one people, one mission, serving the gospel, powerful, life-changing story of Jesus. And that should get us excited. Through the power and leading of God's promised Holy Spirit, we can be one. The early church knew that. They were our example. They did it. They were able to achieve it. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 24 says this, church. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, Uh, But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We all come together with our weird left-handedness or our right-handedness and our, our weird quirks and who we are, what made us who we are, the way God made us, and we come together to be one amazingly beautiful body. And we are in a season of growth right now. This series in the book of Acts is incredibly uh, intentional, church. Like Ron said, he wants to meet you. If you're new, he really does. We really do want to meet you. Look at the the title of the series we're doing in Acts. It's called Deep Dive, Allowing the Holy Spirit to Teach, Lead, and Heal. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to do that in us. Not only here when we sit and think that's a good message, Pastor, but as we go out there and as we lead in our communities, as we love our neighbors, allow the Holy Spirit The summer is about setting us up for the growth that God wants to do, not just in our church community, but in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in the lives of our neighbors. When you encounter conflict, tension, or change, church, Acts chapter 6, it could be and should be your go-to chapter uh, because they responded with love when 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 it came to them. And they became one. That song we were singing earlier, I didn't even, like Shannon didn't even ask, like didn't even plan it, but it said, behold what love can do. Come on, behold what love can do. If we respond in love like the early church did, what could we do? I want to end really quick. I want to tell a quick story uh, about a guy 
whose name was Alex Filipov. And I was listening to a podcast about a month ago uh, and this, about um, justice, peace, all that. And this guy's name came up and I thought, what an impactful story. And this guy, his name's Alex Filipov. He worked his entire life for one company. Uh, he'd worked there for 44 years or so, or 40 years, I think. And the company was moving from Boston to California. And they wanted him to come with them, but he didn't want to move his family from Boston to California. So he decided he was going to retire a little early because he could do that, Lord bless him. And he was going to stay in Boston with his family, and that's where he, that's where he wanted to settle down. So if the company moves to California, he retires. And then they call him up about a year or two later and say, hey, we, would you be so kind as to come and do a quick training for some of our new people? And so he says yes. And he says, okay, I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to fly to California. He says goodbye to his wife. Who, and he says, I, the, the, the quote is, what the last thing he said to his wife was, is, I can't wait to celebrate our 44th wedding anniversary next week. And he gets on a plane that's headed for California, but instead it crashes into a tower on September 11th. And how his family responds is so moving because they, in the wake of all this, who have, they have the most excuse to be mad, more mad than anyone else. They started in his name, the Alexander Filipov Forum for Peace and Justice, where they would invite people in, whether 9-11 survivors or just anyone was welcome to come in and talk about what we could do in the world to bring about peace and justice. Not, we are angry, we are mad, we can't believe. They said, how can we respond with love? And it's such an encouraging story. Church, but this is, this is where we, should, we need to be leading in this arena. Where people are broken and hurting and they say, I'm broken and hurting or I feel left out. Where can we go? Tell us your story. How can we respond? How can we help you? How can the love of Jesus come and encounter your life? What we learned from the other church is that we can, we can find new leaders to run with us. We can start, if you don't know where to start, church, always start small and work to the big things. It works for the other church. It can work for you. And then the most important thing, church, is just focus on working towards oneness. If we can come together as one through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be in a much healthier space. Are you ready for God to start small in your life? Or maybe you're in a spot where you're saying, I'm primed and ready. I've been faithful for a while. God, do something big. Are you ready for him to do something big? Are you asking him to do something big, like help you do something big? If you've been faithful for a long, long time, maybe for years and years you've been attending this church or you've been a Christian for your whole life and you're primed and ready, are you asking God, do something big? Work towards oneness and you will get there. And that's how we want to pray this morning. But I want to do this. I would ask, would you stand to your feet as we pray this morning? If you're able to. And we don't do this, very, we don't do this often, but I, want, I just feel like today would be a good day to do this as we pray for this, this oneness mentality, would we just hold hands with the people who are next to us? COVID's gone. It's okay. <laughs> Mostly. But let's, I want to pray. Let's pray as one church today. Let's bring hands together. Let's join together. And let's ask God to make us one. So when we go out there, we can bring the world back in here and be one with Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, we surrender to you. Holy Spirit, we give you the authority to use us, to be in our lives, Lord. I pray over this church, over Canby Foursquare Church in the city of Canby and in every church in the city of Canby that we would be one, that we would come together, we would be on mission, we'd be on the same goal, that we keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified.
and that we would go out on mission. We'd say, we are about our Father's business. We want to be one. We want to, we want to operate as one. Not that we all think the same or act the same or even look the same, but we will bring all of us together, Holy Spirit, so we can be on the same mission. God, I pray that this church would be together, that we would be one, and that when we go out into the city of Canby or Oregon City, Aurora, Hubbard, Wilson, wherever we put our feet, we, we would be one with your Holy Spirit and we would surrender to the mission you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.